Tale of Two Cities may be a classic English language novel, but it's way too small scale for the Metals Meltdown Boys. So for our November edition, we're upping the ante with A Tale of Two Continents. Whilst Sir Sebastian of Lewis was with my good self, Peter Brennan, attending the 11th annual Platt Steel Markets Asia Conference in Shanghai, Pittsburgh's finest, Chris Davis, was out in Argentina for Alicero's annual get-together. So the big issue at both was, of course, Chinese steel exports, but as regular listeners will know, this is largely old ground for this podcast. A more interesting topic for us to grapple this time, I think, is the state of those once-hailed bricks. How are these recently emerged economic giants getting along? What is the state of their steel industries? And what does this all mean for the global steel context? I think the Shanghai Conference, and maybe you know, Seb will, will come in on this, uh, the Shanghai Conference was a pretty divisive affair. With, you know, we had full-on arguments between Chinese steel representatives and those of India and Southeast Asia. So there were great expectations expressed from the Indian delegates, if we're going to persist with this Charles Dickens theme, whereas the Chinese are talking about scaling back their place in the market. We're even seeing reasonably big players shutting down now. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot of chatter around the sidelines of the conference about mm. you know, kind of steel closures. There was a media report last week, as much as 50 million tonnes in total has closed or suspended operations. Mm. And the largest of these is actually Songting Mill in Tangshan, which is 5 million tonnes closed, which we reported on Friday the 13th, mm. rather auspiciously. But, I mean, you know, whether or not these mills can come back online is a different matter. My suspicion is the state of the market. You know, once you suspend operations here, your market shares will be eaten up by other people. Mm. So I think, you know, even if they haven't officially kind of closed their blast furnaces, I think many of these mills will never come back. It's interesting, Seb, the small privately owned ones are the ones that are going down, aren't they? Because there's actually the market forces that are shutting these mills in China at a time when everyone's criticising China for working against market forces. Yeah, I think there's this kind of conundrum in the Chinese steel industry that have got these very large state-owned mills, some of which are very well run and efficient, but quite a few of which aren't, these kind of medium-sized ones. Mm. And on the other end, you've got the actual probably better run, more efficient private mills but they're the ones that don't get access to credit. So in some ways, the mills that are shutting down are the private ones, the ones that probably have the most efficient operations, but they're being starved of money, whereas the government is willing to kind of support the larger state-owned mills, which probably in reality shouldn't be exist. It does seem um, that the tightness of the credit is going to make an impact, and I think Mr Lee from CISA was talking about consumption figures coming down quite dramatically over the next 10, 15 years. Yes, I mean, look, credit has been tight for a while in the Chinese steel industry. In fact, we reported the other day that one of the Chinese steel mills on Jiangxi mm. is trying to sell some of its iron ore assets, really just to improve its cash flow. Mm. Whether or not anyone actually wants to buy these with iron ore prices where they are right now is a different matter. Mm. But yeah, look, back to your bigger point about the Chinese steel industry. Yeah, Mr. Li Xinchuang, who's a senior official of the industry, gave an update on how to see the industry at the conference. He saw consumption coming down from just under 740 million tonnes in 2014 to under 600 million tonnes by 2020. Now, that's a decline of 3% CAGR over the next six years. And I don't know, it's difficult to make that argument, really. I think there's an argument he's being a bit unduly pessimistic. And I suppose what he's assuming is, or CISA are assuming, is the steel consumption will fall faster than historically been the case when countries reach peak steel, like Japan, USA, mm. etc. Generally, you don't see it fall so fast. But I suppose underlying or underpinning CISA's assumptions has been that there's a lot of the investment in China has all been front-loaded mm. and has been unusually steel-intensive. It's going to drop quite dramatically. 
I think that's a pretty good bit of analysis there, Seb, across uh, the China. Shall we have a look at Argentina then? Chris, it's a tough life for you wandering out there, but I guess there was some work involved when you'd finished dancing the tango and put down your Malbec. What were the main themes of the conference out there, and how's the outlook for the region's big steelmaking hubs such as Brazil? Well, Peter, the Malbec was indeed delicious, and Buenos Aires is a beautiful setting to mix it up with some of Latin America's largest steelmakers. But you of all people know it takes two to tango, especially the slow ones. And China was the partner everyone wanted to ditch during the Alicero dance. Several executives speaking during the event urged their respective governments to block China's ascension within the World Trade Organization to market status at the end of next year. Martin Berardi, president of Alicero and CEO of Ternium Siderar, said Latin America's steel woes have roots growing directly from China's steel overcapacity which at 425 million metric tons is about 6.5 times Latin America's annual output. Berardi said Chinese steel companies are, quote, state-owned and governed by a logic that does not respond to a market economy. Yeah, but I think you've got to remember, Chris, that not all the Chinese steel industry is state-owned. In fact, it has quite a sizable private sector. Well, also, Ternium CEO Daniel Novgil called Brazil, quote, the most important industrial country in South America, and it has been suffering severe deindustrialization over the past decade, which has been reflected in every other country on the continent. The industrial base in Brazil, Latin America's largest economy, has decreased by 10% in the past year alone, according to Paulo Pedroza, executive chairman of the Brazilian Association of Large Consumers of Energy. And Tech and Group CEO Paulo Roca said Latin American politicians have yet to face the reality of challenges facing the steel industry including a continued, quote, deindustrialization and China's slowdown and resulting flood of material that's making its way to the region from that country. China also accounts for roughly 65% of global iron ore trade, up from just 20% near the beginning of its economic boom, Roca said. This has benefited commodities-rich Latin America, but now it's realizing the extent of the region's dependence on China as demand has slowed and raw material prices have plummeted, Roca likened the situation to having made, quote, a pact with the devil, end quote, that is now due. Latin America should focus on investment in its own steel value chain, infrastructure, and the export of manufactured products rather than commodities, Roca said, adding, quote, this cycle change opens windows of opportunity, end quote. But the bottom line, it seemed to me, was Latin America would like to throw China out of that open window. And there does seem to be at least a glimmer of hope, though, in Argentina, where the steel industry was celebrating the victory of opposition candidate Mauricio Macri of the Let's Change Party in the November 22nd presidential runoff. Macri, mayor of Buenos Aires, beat Daniel Scioli, the chosen candidate of President Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner. One source said, quote, Macri has pledged to scrap the country's controversial system of price controls, and he added that he is, quote, confident of the beginning of a new era of opportunities to grow and progress. So, Peter, what did you hear while dancing the nights away in Shanghai? Well, Indian steelmakers speaking at the Shanghai conference were very much in agreement regarding the impact of Chinese exports. I mean, there was lots of allegations of dumping, and as with everywhere else, the region has seen a big uptick in imports, particularly from China. But Indian domestic consumption is increasing. Production is rising, up around 5% in the first 10 months of the year. And we had more talk of capacity eventually hitting 300 million tonnes per year, Though, you know, this was tempered by other predictions of around 225 from, I think, Dilip Uman, CEO of Essa Steel, was more bearish. 
There was definitely a sense of increased optimism with delegates pointing to policies under the Modi administration, saying they're encouraging the economy to grow. There are big initiatives such as the Making India programme, encouraging domestic production, and schemes to develop infrastructure. They're making an impact too. Automotive production is also up about 8%, but while the sleeping tiger is waking up, no one expects it to be a like-for-like -like replacement to China. And I think you're right there, Peter. Then again, go back to where people's steel predictions were for China back in the early 2000s. And I don't mm. think anyone had China kind of reaching 800 million tons. Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the key issues is, you know, if we have the Making India policy, if we see structural reforms from the Modi government, will that support the new greenfield capacity that India needs? Or are they going to still get bogged down in the land right issues they have done for many, many years? Or is India going to be reliant on Chinese steel to help kind of fuel its economy? I mean, it's a big question, that one, Peter. Definitely. I mean, China are going to be exporting around Southeast Asia. And maybe you're right, maybe India is going to be more like an ASEAN state rather than the next China. We'll have to wait and see. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. I think with that rather mixed picture, we're pretty much wrapped up for the edition. Of the three bricks in the wall that we've looked at, it's safe to say Brazil is in the worst state, while China is in a transition period, and India remains one of the main hopes, though maybe it's more ASEAN than China. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening, and until next time, stay solid.